Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. You be seated. Good to see you this morning. Amen. That's what it's about, putting our trust in Christ. That's what it's all about. And I pray this morning that that's what will be spoken of of your life, that you would say yes to Jesus. Yes to Him. Well, as we uh, think about uh, our current series, Focus 2020, we've been looking together, being challenged, I pray, that uh, this year is a year of focus, a year of intention. And as we uh, think about that, I want to give you a pop quiz. (laughs) Don't worry, don't worry. One of the answers is on the screen. What's the... What's the title of our current series that we're in? Yeah, there you go. Amen. Amen. All right. That was an easy one, wasn't it? Here's the hard one. Maybe I hope not anyway. What's our church's mission statement? Can you say that? Do you know what it is? Yeah. Amen. Love God, love people, share Christ and make disciples. Amen. I told you last week, and let me just remind you that the reason why we have this, this statement is because it's biblical. It comes straight from the words in the mouth of Jesus. But we also have a mission statement that we want to, to sort of understand why is because of four things. One, it helps to clarify the ministry. You know, if you don't have a mission, you don't have something to aim at, you really don't have clarity. And so we want to clarify the, the ministry, but we also want to align the ministries of our church to the mission statement. That is, we want everybody to think about whoever is in charge of ministry, whether it be missions or whether it be student ministry or children's ministry or women's ministry or men's ministry. We want to think about how is my ministry coming alongside and aligning with loving God, loving people, sharing Christ and making disciples. Now that's so important for us as a church to understand that because that also helps shape the strategy of our church. It tells us what we ought to be doing. It helps shape that. And then it's also an evaluation tool. When we begin to look at our ministry or our church, we go, okay, are we meeting the mission? You know, most of us who've been military, we understand all about that, don't we? We know we have a mission. We define that mission and we sort of live off that mission. And uh, we oft, often are evaluating ourselves based on the mission that we've been given. And so here God has given us a mission and we are to be about the business of loving God, loving people, sharing Christ and making disciples. And as we think about that, we've been talking about Global Missions Month and the sort of the sermon title that I've been using every week is sort of just dropped out of the, the sky with you is Missio Dei, the, the sending of God. How does God send us out? And, you know, when I think about global missions, that's what it's all about. And you know, we talked about You know, defining missions as a church is when we begin to think about those who are near and far. So you have to send people out the door to be able to reach people near and far. So global missions is all about sending. It's all about going, right? It's about the Great Commission. The Great Commission, Jesus didn't, you know, his focus was going, right? As you go, 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 get out the door and go. It's not about in-gathering, it's about going, And so when we begin to think about the Great Commission, we begin to think about sending, we begin to think about missionaries, the question I want to sort of ask you this morning is, 
How are missionaries sent to the field? When you begin to think about missionaries going to the field, you know, how are they sent? And if you're like me, you sort of, you sort of think about that in the aspect of the IMB or the North American Mission Board, you know, Southern Baptists, we commission missionaries through those agencies and we sort of send them out. And maybe you're familiar with other, you know, mission agencies that are around uh, the United States, around the world. And so we think about that's sort of the, the pipeline, if you will, of how we send missionaries out into the field. But I sort of want to challenge that thinking this morning because I want you to understand that missionaries should be sent to the field by the local church. Missionaries are not sent to the field by mission agencies. We may supply mission agencies with warm bodies from our church, but they ought to be sent out from the congregation. They ought to be sent out from local churches. The, the reason why we've got to revisit that is because we're finding that even though the IMB has enough money to send more missionaries to the field, we don't have enough people in the pipeline. That is, we don't have enough people leaving local churches to go onto the mission field to even sustain what we already have on the field. That's kind of sad when you think about it. So we've somewhere along this journey, we have forgotten that it's the church's, the local church's responsibility to send missionaries onto the field. And we sort of have to think and ask ourselves this question. When was the last time that First Baptist Church of Level Plains sent missionary onto the field? I'm not talking about going up to, to preach like I did in December. I'm not talking about short-term missions. I'm telling you about when was the last time we as a congregation of people sent out from our congregation somebody onto the field, whether it be in North America or whether it be around the, the globe, from our church? When was that the last time that it happened? Well, it's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a long time. And so I want us to think about the reality is that the local church ought to be in this endeavor of sending out missionaries onto the field. Now, I want us to look just at chapter 13 of Acts this morning. We've only got time for four verses, and I want to sort of show you what this has to say. Now, understand that chapter 13, when you look at uh, the book of Acts, it's sort of the transitional chapter. And when you begin to think about it transitioning, there's a lot of transitioning happening from chapter 12 into 13 in the rest of the book. Because if you remember, the book is sort of laid out like the Great Commission is given in Acts 1.8. You know, begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the outer parts of the world. So that ministry started in Jerusalem and began to, to move. And so what you find moving in chapter 13 is that you have a shift in the hub of ministry. It, up until this time, up until chapter 13, the hub of ministry really took place around Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was the hot spot. And so that's where the church began. It's where the disciples began to minister. And so they began to disciple there and they began to move out and move out to the Judea and the Samaria. And now we move into chapter 13 and we've seen that the shift is going to move from Jerusalem to Antioch. And so Antioch is sort of going to be the hub of ministry that's going to take place from here through the rest of the book. The other thing we see is that there's a shift in ministry of people. So really a focus from Jews, that is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, which are half Jews. So it's sort of shifting from there into this Gentile world, uh, the Romans and moving towards that direction. So now we're moving to the, the outer regions, the outer parts of the world. The other thing you're going to have is a shift in personality. You're going to shift from Peter being sort of the main focus in chapter 1 through 12 to moving into this guy who's been raised up by God, whose name was Saul. We know him as Paul. He was on his way, if you can remember in Acts 9, he was on his way to persecute the church. He hated Christians. He wanted to kill Christians. And so he had 
documents that gave him the privilege to be able to imprison them. And on his way, he met a man named Jesus. And a man that he met named Jesus radically transformed his life. And he went from being a murderer to a missionary. He went from being one who persecuted the church to being part of the people of the church. Isn't that incredible how God will change a life? Amen? And so when we begin to think about this shift in ministry, we begin to think about what is the ministry all about? What is the book of Acts all about? It's not just about Pentecost where the church is born, but it's about missions. It's about God sending his people into the world to reach the world with the gospel. And so we move from this transition in chapter 13 to where we're going to see how missionaries are sent to the field. So look at it with me. Acts 13, begin in verse 1. We're just going to read down to verse 4. That's all we have time really to deal with this morning. But notice what the Bible says. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, it says, There were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manonim, uh, who had been brought up uh, with Herod, the Trecharch, and Saul. So there's godly leaders in the church. The Bible tells us that these godly leaders are there. And, the, and we notice what it says in verse, verse 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then... Having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So I want you to think about sending missionaries to the field. We don't often think about this. We may have not even heard sermons about this. But what I'm trying to do today, I'll just give you the punchline, is I am praying... And I've asked you to begin to pray that God would, in the next five years in the life of our church, send five people to the field. That God would raise up five missionaries to go. And I want you to understand the reason why we're praying for that as a church, the reason why as your pastor I'm praying for that, is because I understand that it begins here at the local church. That if we're going to see missionaries go to the field, they have to be raised up right here. It has to happen, what we would say, organically. That is, it has to happen within the lifeblood of our church. And so that's why I'm excited about Global Missions Month. And I'm excited about what we're doing going on mission trips. Because I'm praying that as a result of us talking about missions and going on mission, that God will stir somebody's heart. Whether, listen, whether it's a boy or a girl or whether it's an adult, that God will stir somebody's heart. That they'll say, that's me. I need to go. I'm being called by God to go to the mission field. That's the goal. That's the plan. So as we think about that process, how does that happen? Well, first of all, notice on the screen, the Holy Spirit calls and sends out missionaries. You say, now, Pastor, you just said the church did. Hold your seat, okay? We're going to get to that aspect. But I want you to understand that the call, first of all, listen, the call to missions, being sent out on mission is a divine calling. I want you to understand that because that's so crucial and so important because I think what we do is we look at missionaries, we go, well, those are special kinds of people. You know, those are, those are people who are more spiritual than I am. Can I just tell you that all those missionaries that are on the field are just like you are. All those missionaries on the field are just like I am. That is that they were living their lives here in the United States and 
They had families, and they were raising those families. But as they walked with the Lord, the Lord spoke into their life. And the Lord says, I want you to go and be, in, be engaged in missions. I want you to engage in telling people the gospel, whether it be in North America or whether it's been in South America or whether it's around the globe. God called them. God raised them up. It was a divine call upon their life. You say, well, that does make them special. No, because here's the reality. Sometimes God wants to call us, but we shut up our hearts to that. We don't want God to call us. We, well, I, I, you know, those are for, God, that, that's like super special people over there. I, I can't do what they're doing. Well, they're not super special other than the fact that they've been called by God to go to that particular location, to those particular people, to minister there. But what is God calling you to? What is God saying to you? And are you willing to even entertain the fact that God wants to call you? That God may want to use you? See, it's just about availability, isn't it? It's about what Daniel put on the screen earlier. It's about obedience. Am I going to be obedient to the Spirit's calling on my life to go and be sent out as a missionary around the world? Well, notice how that happened. look Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Notice how it happened. The churches together, right? They're in Antioch, certain prophets and teachers. And, and you know, the idea to me is I'm uh, thinking is they're, they're gathered together. They're, they're worshiping together. And in verse 2 it says, and as they were ministering, as the, these leaders were teaching and preaching, and as ministry was taking place in the lifeblood of the church, as the church was gathered, maybe perhaps like we are today, they were gathered on a Sunday morning, and they're there to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As they're there to worship, notice what happens. The, the, as they were fasting and praying, and as they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit comes in and invades the environment. And what does the Holy Spirit say? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. There's the call. There's the call. Listen, and by the way, the call is already been placed on their life because you've noticed, set, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have already called them. That is, there was already a work. There's already something God is doing in the life of Barnabas and in the life of Paul. And now the church is being called to come alongside of that, to come alongside of, and be obedient to the Holy Spirit's work to send out this two men into the mission field. Now I want you to think about this call, as it's coming in, we don't know what the, how the Holy Spirit did. We don't know if there was a, a rushing wind. Uh, we don't know if the Holy Spirit spoke to somebody in their spirit. And as they spoke in their heart, they testified that we don't know that at all. We don't know if Barnabas and Paul said, hey, guys, the Holy Spirit's calling us to, to leave here and to go be on mission. And maybe they were giving their testimony. We're not sure how the Holy Spirit spoke. We just know that it was plain and simple. We know that it was definitive. We know that the Holy Spirit spoke and said, send these two guys on mission. So the Holy Spirit's speaking. So what is this? It's a calling. And let me tell you something about this calling. As I've already said, it's general and it's specific. I want you to think about a calling for a minute. There is an understanding in the Bible by which calling is on everyone's life. You know, I'm called to be, people say, well, you're called to be a preacher. Yeah, that's true. God set me apart. I believe since I was a child, God set me apart to be a pastor. Even your pastor in South Alabama, even though I'm from New Jersey. Isn't that pretty awesome how God did that? But I believe at 10 years old, God spoke in my spirit. I shared that story again Wednesday night, how God spoke to me. And I thought I was going to be a Catholic priest. And, you know, I wanted the Bible and had a desire for all that. Now, here I am all these years later, and and I'm preaching in a Southern Baptist church. Praise God. Amen. So uh, I love my wife. I love being married. And so uh, I want you to, 
I want you to think about how God works, though. God called me specifically to this task, but God calls all of us to the task of the Great Commission. Every single one of us in here, we are, I like what Spurgeon said, we are either missionaries or imposters. Because every Christian is called to be a missionary. That is a general calling. Every one of us in this room, we're called to that task. But then there is this specific call. That is to a specific location and to a specific people. And if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you will find that the Holy Spirit is guiding Paul and Barnabas, and then eventually they'll split, but he is guiding them every step of the way where they need to go. And listen, even close some doors or where not to go. So I want you to think, God is calling every one of us in this room to be missionaries, but he may be calling us to a specific people and location, like he did Barnabas and Saul, or as we call him, Paul. And where were they going to go? Namely, to the Gentile world. It was already in the calling of his salvation. Jesus had already told Paul he was going to use him for the Gentile ministry. He had already told him that. And so, remember, the Spirit said, set them apart for the ministry I've called them to. And so, there was already this calling on their life. So, what does that mean? Folks, that means that they are not volunteers. They are not volunteers. We often think of our missionaries as volunteers. They are not volunteers. They are sent and commissioned first by God and sovereignly called to the ministry in which they're at. Is it by accident that the Mayotte family is in Cape Town, South Africa? No, it's not an accident. That was God's plan. God called them. God raised them up and called them out and sent them to a specific location to a specific people. They are not volunteers. We got to get that out of our mind. It's not about I'm going to volunteer. It's about I'm going to answer and be obedient to the call that God places on my life. And that's regardless of whether I go across the street to minister and share the gospel with my neighbor or whether I do that somewhere here in North America or whether I go overseas, I want to be obedient to that. See, I believe, I believe that God has called all of us to that. And I believe there's some even sitting here this morning, you need to understand, God wants you to go this summer on mission. And you haven't yet answered that call, but God wants you to go. Why? Because God wants the gospel to be spread in the places that we'll be going. And he needs us to do it. He's using us to do that. What a privilege we have to answer the call to go and spread the gospel, both near and far. And so he is calling all of us. And again, that's why I'm praying, God, would you call five people out in our church in five years to go to the mission field? That's bold, isn't it? That's bold, but I pray God will do that. And I pray that you're praying alongside with with me about doing that. So the Holy Spirit knows verse 2. So as they ministered to the Lord and as they fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 4. Now let's slip down verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So there it is. So the Holy Spirit calls, but then the Holy Spirit sent. See, I want you to understand something that ultimately missionary work is a work of God by which He calls us to. And he not only calls us to that, but he sends us out. And that the Great Commission again, go therefore into all the world. Jesus told the disciples who were worried about him setting up his kingdom on earth. He told them this, epics and times is not only your business, but you shall be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. It's about getting out and preaching the gospel to all people, all creatures everywhere. And so as Luke 
helps us by testifying that the Holy Spirit sent them out. And so the question is, where is the church in this process? You say, Pastor, you told me at the beginning that the church sends out. Yeah, the church does. But at the command and the commission of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, it's a divine work, right? God calls people to mission. And what does the church do? The church comes alongside that. And the church is the institution. It's the vehicle by which God uses to send people out. How so, Pastor? Well, look at verse 3. Verse 3 gives us the answer. And that is the church confirms the call and commissions the missionaries and then sends them out. Notice verse 2 or verse 3. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. Three things happen. Three crucial things that happen in a local church that are so important for us. First is that they fasted and they prayed. I wonder when was the last time you gave up food and fasted? When was the last time that you just fasted between you and the Lord and spent some time? You know, the Bible does not command fasting. Do you realize that? It doesn't command it at all. But Jesus took it for granted that we would, Matthew 6. When Jesus is giving us the Sermon on the Mount, in there he says, when you fast. That is when you take the opportunity to part, you know, put food aside for the opportunity of seeking the face of the Lord. Maybe for a special request. Maybe even now you're praying and fasting about something that's going on in your life and you need an answer. Can I just tell you that fasting is a spiritual discipline that we need to be practicing? It's a spiritual discipline that's practiced here. We're told twice in the same text that while they were praying and fasting, while they were going without food. And what is this whole deal anyway about going without food? Paul says this way. Paul says, I discipline my body. Going without food. Food is a necessity, right? You got to have food. Every day we eat food. It's a necessity of life. But let me tell you something. God is more of a necessity. And so what is it that we do? We lay aside food for the opportunity to use that time to seek the Lord. I tell people all the time, if you're going to fast, fasting is not about, you know, making yourself look ragged. You know, fasting is about taking the time that maybe you would eat lunch and getting alone with God in the closet, your prayer closet, opening your Bible up, opening your heart up in prayer and praying to the Lord and seeking his face. It's about drawing closer Right? It's not about just going without food, but it's about drawing close, about taking every opportunity, every moment of the day that we can to draw in and draw nigh to the Lord. You say, well, won't I be hungry? Well, you may be. But let me tell you, the more you seek the Lord, the less hungry you'll feel. You know, Jesus said that, right? When he was hungry, they left and they came back and they find him talking to the woman at the Samaria. And, and you know, he's like, you know, you're not hungry. He said, listen, my food is to do the will of the Father, right? It's, he had a food that, he had, he had a feeling they didn't even know about. When we discipline ourselves and do a spiritual fasting, it doesn't control God. It's not like we, we're controlling God through our fasting, but it sure is that God gets to control me. It sure is about God speaking into my life. It sure is about God giving me my sight clearer about who he is and what his word has to say. And so the church, they began to, to have a fast and they began to pray. Why did they do that? Well, they did that as a spiritual discipline, but they did that, listen, to confirm the call that the Holy Spirit had placed on Barnabas and Saul. You know, when we think about ministry, we think about men being called to ministry. If somebody says in the church, hey, I've been called to be a pastor, the church ought to be able to go, you know what? I think that's a legit call. 
If the church can't say that's a legit call, and maybe there needs to be some homework done. Amen? Maybe somebody needs to investigate this person's life because the church ought to be able to authenticate that God is calling this person. And the way that this church did that, the reason the church did this was so they could confirm the call of Paul as they practice the spiritual discipline of fasting. But then, notice it says too, they were fasting and praying. Those are always together, right? It's no good to fast and not pray. And so they're fasting and they're praying. And how are they praying? The word that's being used here is that they were in a focused prayer. They were in fervent prayer. They were really sincere about seeking the Lord and praying for this call upon Barnabas and Saul. What does that tell us? Listen, it's a serious matter by which we set people aside to send them out to the mission field. Paul would say this, don't put your hands on a novice. Don't, don't, don't commission people too fast. You know, you, you need to pray and seek the Lord before you just jump on board with somebody else's ministry. Amen? And so for us as a church, as we think about God sending people out from our congregation, hopefully as God begins to raise up those five people over the next five years, we'll go, ha ha, that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, they're already engaged in missions. They're already engaged in, you know, other spiritual disciplines and matters. These men were already engaged in ministry. They were already leaders in the church. And God raises them up. God sets them apart to be a part of the ministry. But that's not all they did. Notice in the text, they haven't fasted and prayed. Then they did what? They laid hands on them. Now the laying on of hands, sometimes in the book of Acts, you'll see that the laying on of hands is related to salvation experiences and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But here, that's not the case. Here, it is what we would call a commissioning service. It is by which the church gathers around and they lay their hands on a missionary candidate or a pastor for ministry. And what does that all mean? That means that they are authenticating and that they are agreeing with the Spirit's call in that person's life to send them out onto the mission field. And what that means also is that when we put our hands on somebody, we understand that not only is God calling them out to go to the mission field, but here's what we're saying. Literally what we're saying as a church is that they're going onto the mission field, but they are still an extension of our church. That is, that when we send a missionary, if God raises up five people in five years and they leave this church, listen, they're not gone. It's not like they move their membership and they're gone and we never hear from them again. Oh, praise God, you're going to the mission field. Good luck. No, it's, they're an extension of our ministry. That's why I like we're partnering with the Condokers and we're partnering with the Mayots and others. We're partnering with, why? Because as we partner with them, they become an extension of our ministry at Level Plains. How can we have a global impact around the world and here in the United States? By partnering with missionaries. Listen, we, I'll just be honest, I've used wrong terms. I've talked before you as a church, hey, let's adopt a missionary. That's wrong. We shouldn't be adopting missionaries. We don't want to just send cards and stuff to a missionary. What we want to do is become partners with them, by which they become an extension of the life of our church. And so that's the terms we want to use. And that's the terms that Daniel's been using is partnering, partnering, partnering. And that's what we want to do. So to lay your hands and to commission them was to say, you are a part of our church and we're sending you out as an extension of our ministry. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means a couple of things. First of all, that means there's an accountability. That means there's an accountability on the part of the missionary and there's an accountability on the part of the church. 
When we begin thinking about sending missionaries to the field and we as a church begin to commission them, that means, first of all, we have the accountability to make sure, number one, that they're doctrinally sound. That when we send them onto the field, they know what the gospel is, right? We talked about that last week. We don't want to get the gospel wrong. We want to make sure the gospel's right. We want people to understand that it's only through Christ that they can be saved. There's nothing else. And so we want to make sure our missionaries that we send to the field, the, the pastors we make commission or whatever, that they understand the gospel and the truth of the gospel. So we want to make sure they're doctrinally sound. We want to make sure they believe the same thing we do. Amen? But it also means that as we send them out, that we do financially support them. You say, what? That's, some of our, that's part of our responsibility. Part of our responsibility of sending people out would be financial accountability, to be able to help them to live on the field and be supported. That's the beauty, by the way, of us sending missionaries through the pipeline of the North American Mission Board or the International Mission Board, is that we have partnered with other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, 47,000 plus churches, in order that we would give to the cooperative program and give through Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon, in order that we can send missionaries on the field, some 3,600 plus IMB missionaries, 5,200 North American missionaries onto the field that they may not have to worry about their next paycheck in order that they can minister freely the gospel of Christ. That's a beautiful thing, y'all. Amen. Thank God for that. As Southern Baptists, we do that. But our church is not going to partner just through IMB and NAM. We're also partnering with others. I mean, you take Shaquille, for instance. Shaquille is a North American mission board missionary, but his supports run out. He doesn't get any more support from them. How is he going to live? How is he going to preach the gospel? And let me tell you, when you meet him in a couple of weeks, you're going to be amazed. You're going to be like, how in the world is this young guy accomplishing so much? 33 years of age. He's now on a worldwide TV network where he's preaching the gospel all around the world in Bangladesh. He's preaching in Hindi. He's doing a lot of things to preach the gospel around the world. Not to mention he's running two Bible colleges around the world and having a ministry right here in the United States. It's incredible what he's doing. But he can't do all that if he's got to have a job full time. And so we can come alongside him and we can minister alongside of him. So the church comes together and we understand they're an extension with the mutual accountability and accountability on our part by which we support them. And, and by the way, they don't need just physical support. They do need our moral support. It does get lonely as a missionary. Can you imagine packing up your family, your three little boys, and moving to Cape Town, South Africa, where you know Nobody. That would be tough. I can remember when I left the Air Force and I moved to Birmingham, Alabama with my two kids and I didn't know a single soul in Birmingham. And I thought this is going to be a whole new start. It's going to be a whole new life. Probably wasn't as impactful when I left New Jersey and went in the Air Force and then moved from Delaware to Mississippi. And I thought, man, how am I going to get, in, get along with people in Mississippi? I'm a Yankee. And I thought, I know how I'll fit in. I'll go buy me some cowboy boots, a nice, you know, belt with a big buckle on it and wear a cowboy hat, and I'll fit in. No, still didn't fit in, brother. You're right. Still didn't. So think about culture shock around the world. Think about culture shock in some places, even in the United States, that people will go to serve God. So we have a mutual accountability on our side, but then there's a mutual accountability on their side. You're saying, is that proven in the scripture? Sure. Read over in book, book of Acts chapter 14, just one chapter away, verse 26 to 28. The Bible says that after they went out and they ministered and they went around, they came back. And look what it says, for they sailed to Antioch 
and where they had been com- commanded of the grace of the Lord, right, of God, to the work which they had completed, and go on, flip it, flip it. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he opened the door of the faith to the Gentiles. So they went back and they reported back to the church in order to say, hey, this is what God's doing. And so there is this wonderful idea by which this mutual accountability is on the church, but also on the missionary. And so they come alongside and we lay hands on them and we commission them to go out into the mission field and to be a part. I came across this article by a pastor, Vance Pittman, whose church sends a lot of missionaries to the field. And he talked about commissioning missionaries. And he said there are six reasons why we ought to remember to do that. And and here are the six. First of all, it's biblical. We ought to remember that the Bible here is commissioning missionaries and we ought to do the same thing. The second thing he says, it's visionary. That is, it allows others in the fellowship to see what God is doing. And it gives us this big, bigger picture. He says, second, or thirdly, it's affirming. We affirm what God is doing in the life of those who are gifted and called to go to the mission field. Here's the other one. Fourth, it's convicting. I pray that will be the case. I pray that through these past three weeks as we talked about being a missionary and sending missionaries, that you felt the conviction of the Spirit of God. To at least be open to say, Lord, I'll go. If you want me to go... I'll go. And then it's also, he says, inviting. That is, you invite people to join in and be a participant. Listen, isn't that a beautiful thing? That even though you may never step foot out of this church and go into the mission field, isn't it a beautiful thing to know that you are impacting a prison in Cape Town, South Africa? That you are impacting other places around the world. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's just beautiful to me. And then it's also, he says, it's celebrated. We celebrate what God is doing. But notice the church. The church not only prayed in fact, they were serious about this. They were confirming the call. They were obeying the Holy Spirit. They laid hands on them. But notice at the end of verse 3, they sent them away. That word means to be sent out. That is, they literally said, time for you to go. <laughs> Pack up your things and get out. And they sent them out. Church, I wonder, who are we going to send out? Who are we going to send out? We're going to send out a couple teams in the summer. Praise God for that. We're going to commission them. We're going to have a commissioning service and a commissioning time. And we're going to send them as they go to a short-term trip. But again, I'm praying five people in five years. God, who are we going to send out? Because the church, the local church, is the sending agency of mission work. It's not the IMB, not the North American Mission Board. It's right here at First Baptist Level Plains. It's our responsibility to raise up missionaries to send to the field. We may send them to the pipeline of IMB. We may send them through the pipeline of North American Mission Board, but they have to start here. And so I want to conclude the sermon by asking a couple of questions. I asked them last week. Let me ask them again. Who here will go? Who is God calling this morning to go to the mission field? Who here will say, God, I'll go. Here I am, send me. Starts with obedience. Starts with a willingness to say, I want to be obedient to God. And listen, just because you're older doesn't mean God can't send you. As a matter of fact, I wonder if not being older brings a little bit more freedom. You don't have to drag kids to the mission field. You've already got things paid for. You know, you're drawing that 401k, you work for all your life. (laughs) Maybe you can invest it into the kingdom. Maybe God would call a young professional. 
Maybe you're saying, you know, I'm going to college to be an engineer. Maybe when you graduate, God will say, you know what? I want you to use that engineering degree around the globe. Go somewhere else and work. But while you're working as an engineer around the world, you have the opportunity to be a missionary and share the gospel of Christ. I wonder, even being used in the military, what a great opportunity you have. I wonder who here will go. The second question is this, why not you? Why, what would we say? Would we be like Moses at the burning bush? I mean, it just blows my mind, right? He's at a burning bush. And how the bush is the voice of God. And yet he says, God, send somebody else. God, I'm stupid. I'm not smart enough. I don't, you know, talk eloquently enough. I don't have, a, have it all together. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not this enough. And we tell God all the reasons why he can't use us. And all along, God's saying, no, Moses, I want to use you. And God is saying to you today, why not you? Yeah, you may not think you have this enough or that enough or this enough or that enough, but I promise you, if God's calling you to it, he will provide you with what you need. He did Moses. He did the disciples. He did his own son. So I wonder who here will go. The next thing I would say is, will you financially support what we're doing as a church? If you haven't given to Global Missions yet this month, will you be willing to do that? Will you give monies to the global missions in order that we can raise up missionaries in our church? You're saying, oh, how's that going to help? Well, listen, it begins with right here, right now, doesn't it? It begins with today. It begins with the decision that we as a church make to say, are we going to be a sending agency or are we not? I'm here to tell you that's where I'm leading. That's where I'm going to lead us. We're going to be a sending agency. And I'm praying five years, five people be raised up at level planes. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.